0: The following podcast is brought to you by Pathways Church. Thanks for joining us for this message from our weekend service. We exist to lead people into a growing relationship with Christ. If you have any questions or even a story to share about how God is moving in your life, we would love to hear from you. You can email us at info at pathwayschurch.us. Thanks for listening and we pray that God's word will enrich your journey today. So in the U.S. Armed Forces, the Green Beret is only worn by those who have received this special tab. Chad is one of such soldiers. Chad has recently become a follower of Jesus Christ, a Christian, if you will, in probably the last 120 days. And here's what you need to know about Chad. Chad, he asks a lot of questions, and he he processes very thoughtfully, and he seeks truth ferociously. Now, the person who has impacted Chad the most, his name is Zach. Zach is all in for God. Zach is core to here at Pathways. He just loves Jesus with everything inside of him. And so one day, two weeks ago, I was talking to Chad at the YMCA. We had a conversation, and after uh, congratulating him on his admittance into the Green Parade program, where he's going to be going to Fort Bragg, North Carolina in a couple weeks, I said, so what's after this program? I said, like, "Are you going to stay in the military? What are some of your options?" And he said, "You know, Adam, I'm not exactly sure. In fact, how do you know God's will? Yes that question. Ever asked that question like? God, what is your will for my entire life? Now, if you're in your 20s and you ask that question, that's one thing. But if you're in your 40s or 50s, or you go through a divorce, or or you struggle, or you go through an addiction, or something happens, you have a job loss, you ask that question in terms of a season of life. But the question is essentially the same. God, what do you want from me? Last week, we talked about how we're set apart, we're consecrated, according to Acts chapter 13. If you missed that message I would ask you to go on uh, YouTube or go online and check that out because that was a very foundational truth. That wasn't just some cute piece of sermonic information. That truth of being set apart, once you realize that and you begin to live into that, that can change the course, the trajectory of a season of life or an entirety of your life. But the follow-up question to that is, if I'm set apart, If I'm consecrated by God for a special task, then the lingering, the lurking question is, what is that special thing? What is that path? That was the question that Chad and I were having conversation about. And I I said this to him. I said, Chad, well, let me ask you. I said, was it a desire of yours to be admitted into this Green uh, Break uh, program? He said, sure it was. You have three chances. This was his third shot. Final opportunity. I said, Well, you know, the Word tells us that as you delight yourself in the Lord, He'll give you the desires of your heart. And if your desires don't match His desires, then He'll change your desire such that you get what you really want from God because God really wants to give you His desire inside of you. Obviously, it was His desire for you to get into this program, and so God is leading you. That's fantastic. And then I said to him, one of my favorite scripture verses found in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord, help me out with all of your, yeah, lean not into your own understanding. Chad, don't put the ladder of your life against your own understanding, but trust God with everything. And here's the promise of scripture. If you acknowledge him in all your ways, he will direct your paths. And I could see how peace was kind of just coming over him. And so I said to him, listen, you can process that with people. Uh, Scripture says that there's wisdom with an abundance of counselors. So talk about that. But but deep down inside, Chad, you have to know before God, what is he saying to you in your gut? And he said, yeah, but Adam, sometimes I'm afraid that I'll miss it or I'll go down the wrong path. At this point, I knew this was a God moment. And I don't know if you've ever been in a gym or in a public place where, you know, you have these casual conversations, but sometimes the conversation goes a little too long for that certain area or context. And so it was like one of those things where people were like, what are they talking about, you know? And just in passing, and I looked right at him and I said, Chad, I said, here's the deal. First of all, it's hard for God to steer a parked car. And I said, secondly, God loves you so much that even if you go down the wrong path, he will reroute your life. Boy, that sounds like a good sermon series. Some church should do that. He will reroute your life such that you'll get on the best path to glorify him and to benefit generations and people around you. Amen? And this is exactly what takes place with the Apostle Paul. If you remember the story, the Apostle Paul, his name was Saul, and he was going off into one direction thinking that he was following God, and God redirected him on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9. Gave him a vision for his life, and everything changed in that moment. And the Apostle Paul was so, he was so critical to the formation and the growth of the church. In fact, uh, anybody a history buff? Anybody a history buff? I was actually uh, texting a guy in our church. I said, hey, don't forget, you need to come this weekend. I'm talking about history. So if you're a history buff, I want you to get out your phone, your device, or old school pen and paper. Take some notes because this is so fascinating. I discovered and I really reread and I dove into the history of Paul. Paul, if you remember last week, I said in Acts chapter 13, he now steps on the stage of history as the most dominant figure of the New Testament for the next 50 years. God used Saul, who became the apostle Paul, to do three missionary journeys totaling 10,000 miles. He planted 14 churches in cities like Colossae, Corinth, Ephesus, and Philippi. Many of those cities have become letters, New Testament letters. We know them as Colossians, or Ephesians, or Corinthians, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, or, or, or Philippians. He wrote half of the New Testament, 14 out of the 27 books to be exact. And for the next 50 years, God used him to reach the Gentiles, to go beyond and to break barriers beyond the minds and the hearts of the Jews to see that the God is the God of the world. He's the God of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And it all started because of one man who was named by birth, Joseph, but the apostles dubbed him Barnabas. Barnabas took his entire life, and he poured into, he invested into Paul. Now, I don't know if his nickname was Barney or if or if Paul called him, yo, B, B, what up? I need some help. Guide me. Show me. I'm not sure what he called him. But Barnabas was his mentor. Barnabas was his guide. And so what I want to do today for some of you history folk, I want to kind of set the background, the context for the story that we're going to look at. Here's a modern day map of our world today. This is kind of in the Mediterranean rim, okay? So to your left, you'll see the boot. The boot is what country, right? It's Italy. Italy. If you want great pizza, go to Italy, all right? All right, so there's Italy. And then if you move to your right, you'll see Asia. Continue to your right and lock on to Syria. Everybody say Syria. Now we're going to zoom into Syria. And I want to show you the map of Paul's first missionary journey. His first missionary journey, let's bring up the next map. It's a two-year journey from AD 46 to 48. It's a seven-city tour where he traveled 14 to 1600 miles bringing the gospel. And you have to remember there's no Teslas, there's no Tundras. This is sandals and a ship, okay? So him and Barnabas go on this seven-city tour. You'll see in Syria, in Antioch, Syria, that's where he departs because last week we talked about how they were praying and fasting and they were set apart, they were consecrated to go on this first missionary journey. You can read about that missionary journey in Acts chapter 13 verse 4 through Acts 14 verse 28. Now, he goes to seven different cities and near the end we're going to pick up in the city of Lystra. Everybody say Lystra. Lystra. All right, so I want to begin. Are you ready for God's word today? You ready because I'm going to give a message entitled Pride versus Humility. Pride versus Humility. If you want to know God's will for your life, then you need to approach and you need to find God with the humility of heart and with an open-handed response to how God directs you. Pride will stop the progress of God in your life. It just will. So we're going to begin in Acts chapter 14 in verse 8. Let's look at the text together. In Lystra, there sat a man who was lame. He had been that way from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking, and Paul looked directly at this man, and he saw that he had faith to be healed. Now, I could just stop right there and do a sermon series on that phrase right there. He saw that he had faith to be healed. Do you have faith? What do you have faith for? Do you have faith for healing? Do you have faith for a miracle? Do you have faith to overcome an addiction? Do you have faith to grow, to change, to heal? This lame man, he had faith. And so he, and called out, and, and here's what Paul, Paul did, this in verse 10. He said, stand up on your feet. And at that, the man jumped up and began to walk. Verse 11, when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lyconian language, the gods, the gods have come down to us in human form. Verse 12, Barnabas, they called Zeus, and Paul, they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city of Lystra, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. Can you imagine? This is a moment for for Barnabas and Paul to get extremely prideful. God did an amazing feat through them, a miracle. Can you imagine that there was a lame person, a blind person? There was a miracle that took place, and the crowd saw Barnabas and Paul, and immediately they said, The gods have come down. The gods have come down. This is amazing. And the religious leaders came in from the the edge of the city to the city gates and they brought wreaths and bulls. Basically, that's trophies and, and great food. And they wanted to celebrate. They wanted to say, you are Zeus and you are Hermes. That would be like, you are Michael Jordan and you are LeBron James. You, or whatever it would be like, fill in the blank. Like this, you are incredible. You, you, you. Now, here's how Barnabas and Paul respond. Watch their humility. In verse uh, 14, it says this, but when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes and they rushed out into the crowd shouting, Friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human like you. We are just bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way. Yet, he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown you kindness by giving you rain from the heavens and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your heart with joy. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. Now, here's the story that is so applicable and powerful to us because we all wrestle with pride. In fact, if you're in this room, you're watching online, I don't care how old you are, I don't care how young you are, I don't care if you're black or white, how much money you make, how much education you have. Listen, we all struggle with pride. Pride is something that is so common to every one of us. And unless you wrestle your pride to the ground and you keep it in check before God, pride will create so many problems for you and for me. If we want to be made for Mondays, if we want our faith to inform every area of our life and every day of the week, not just a Sunday, not just a worship service, not just a small group, not just your quiet time or your chair time before God, but every, to saturate, to drench every area of our lives, then we have to look at the at the the tension and the rustling match between pride and humility. Pride, here's the first principle that you need to write down about pride. Pride will puff you up. Pride puffs you up. Pride puffs you up like a cream-filled donut, okay? I don't care if it's jelly or Bavarian cream, it's gonna puff you up, okay? It does, it puffs you up. And here's what pride does. Pride pushes people away. Here's the first uh, reality of what pride does. Pride creates conflict. Pride creates conflict. Think about it for a moment. If Barnabas and Paul would have inhaled all the praise and the accolades from from the Lyconian people, if they would hear them saying, oh, the gods have come down, man, they could have been like, yes, I am a god. They could have puffed their chest out. They could have said, oh, this is incredible. And it could have led to conflict. Why? Because Paul could have looked at B and he could have said, hey, Barney, listen, I'm Zeus and you're Hermes. Not the, They got it wrong. I just want to let you know, I'm the franchise player. I'm going to be the big deal. God is going to work through me. I am God. Could have created conflict. Anytime there's conflict in relationship, and there's always going to be a conflict in our human relationships. I don't care. Always. Remember what this proverb says. Put it up on the screen. Proverbs 13:10. It says this. Where there is strife, where there is conflict, there is, say that word? Pride. There's pride. Always be on the lookout for pride. Pride creates conflict. All right. You know why pride creates conflict? conflict, because here's what pride does with human beings. Pride, it erects and it builds walls. Pride, put it on the screen. Pride builds walls, but humility builds bridges. How does that work, Adam? Let me break it down for you. Pride builds walls because you get attached to your position rather than seeing the other person as an image bearer of God. So in conflict, when tension arises and pride comes up, all of a sudden you want to defend or you want to build a wall to show that you're right or to keep them out rather than being humble because humility, it actually builds a bridge. How? Because humility smooths over conflict. Humility soothes the relationship. See, humility smooths and it soothes our relationships. It's like an oil to an engine when we're humble. Humility is the hard work of building bridges. It's one of the reasons that we struggle as a nation with racism or, or with political division because sometimes we get so entrenched in our way of thinking and we forget that we're civil human beings both created in the image of God. And if we could release our positions and see the person as truly a person, then we could have some effective dialogue. It doesn't mean that we have to agree. We can agree to disagree. We've lost that art form. We have now disagreed to such an extent where we must disagree where we draw blood. And that's against the gospel. In fact, next week, I'm going to talk about a little message about how we disagree without drawing blood. How we disagree, how do we have conflict? Because conflict is a part of of life. Especially, how do we have conflict with Christians? We're going to see that in the text next weekend. But the first point, the first thing that pride does is it creates conflict. The second thing that it does is this. It blocks God's grace. I think all of you know that we need God's grace to grow, to change. We need God's grace to heal. But pride is a blocker to God's grace. Why? Because it brings the attention to us rather than the perfection of God. God is the only righteous one. God is the only perfect one. God has all the good gifts and the power and the mercy and the kindness. And, and when we get prideful, it serves as a blocker. That's why the Bible says in, in James chapter 4, verse 6, that God opposes the proud but gives favor to the humble. If you're living a proud life, listen, that's a dangerous way to live. The third thing that pride does is it stops your mission. If you want to be admired by your coworkers and loved by your family and your friends, you want to be authentic, a centered human being, then then humility is what's required of you. If you want to be made for a mission, made for Mondays, you want your faith to inform those areas of your life that are broken and sinful and prideful, then you need humility because I'm going to tell you, pride will stop your mission of your own personal growth and your development and the special tasks that God has set you apart for. Imagine for a moment if Paul and Barnabas would inhale all of that praise from those people, Do you think they would have been that focused on sharing the message of Jesus Christ? Do you think they would have continued on to the second and the third missionary journey? No, probably not. They would have put it on autopilot and all of a sudden started thinking, well, how can I leverage their praise for my comfort? How can I all of a sudden begin to to take the focus off of God and the mission that he has for me and make it about me? They didn't do that. They had a spirit, a posture of humility. Now, here's the principle about humility. If you're taking notes, jot this down. Humility always helps you focus on other people, always. Now, we know humility is an important thing, right? But here's the deal. I think a lot of us, we struggle, including myself, with good biblical teaching on how we actually develop humility, Like, how do we develop, what are the practices of humility? Because we know we need to focus on other people. As Christians, we want to serve them and love them and care for them. But how do we do that? Well, let me give you three practices in order to grow and develop humility. The first is this, to be willing to admit your weaknesses. Admitting your weaknesses is a pathway toward developing a humble heart. You remember what Paul and Barnabas did when they said, "The gods have come down to us in human form." What did they do? They tore their clothes, and they ran into the crowd and they shouted, "Friends! We are human just like you. We're frail, and we're messy and we're broken and we're jacked up just like you!" Let me give you an example. Man, what you did right there, I'm telling you, the way you engineered that project at work right now, the reason that Bergstrom is gonna grow into the billions in terms of its profitability and all, man, we're gonna go global. We're gonna take this is because of you and your great ingenuity. And you know what? Mr. Bergstrom needs to know about what you're doing because I'm telling you, man, you are just crushing it. Now let's say you work for Bergstrom and somebody in your department says that to you who's a little higher than you. Doesn't that give you an opportunity to puff out, get prideful? But what if somebody said that about you? What if somebody said that about your real estate? What if somebody said that about your education? What if somebody said that about whatever field that you're in? What if they said that and all of a sudden you tore your clothes off and you were like, no, that wasn't me. Well, first, they'd probably call HR and say, man, this person is crazy. Can you put that away? Please, do not take your clothes off in the office, okay? Don't do that, or on Zoom. Please, don't do that, okay? But, biblically speaking, to tear your clothes is way of saying... No, this is wrong. I resist and I'm in complete disagreement with you trying to elevate me to godlike status. And yet, that's exactly what the world teaches us. Do everything you can to be godlike. And Paul and Barnabas, they admit their weakness by tearing their clothes and saying, No, friends, friends. I love that. Invitational language. Friends, we're just like you. We're weak and we're human. Can you admit your weaknesses? Are you willing to admit when you're wrong? Hey, that was my bad. I messed up there. Or do you blame shift? Or do you look for a way out? Or do you get deceptive? Or do we set up all the schemes? Admitting your weaknesses is a way to develop humility. The second thing is showing God's grace, showing God's grace. Do you remember what Paul and Barnabas did? They showed God's grace by saying to the people of Lystra, hey, look at all this food that God has provided for you. He's put joy in your heart. He fills your hearts with joy. That's God. You need to get on his side. You need to get on his page. He loves you so much. It used to be where people didn't hear about God, but now, you know what? The message is out, and it's coming to you. So let me just show you some grace, the grace of God. It's not us. It's him. He's doing all this great stuff. And then the third thing is by expressing genuine interest. You want to develop some humility, express genuine interest in other people. If you're looking for uh, something to do this Memorial Day weekend or perhaps this week, you want to memorize something, here are two great verses to memorize when it comes to developing and growing a humble heart. And I believe that these are some of the most underrated and under-memorized verses of the New Testament. And I promise you, for the next generation, if you're a kid today or a student or a college student, whatever you are, listen, humility is so central in terms of your, your your marketability, of your genuine authenticity, employers and coaches and friends and people. They want to see humility in young people. They do, they do. A spirit of being teachable. When you're prideful, you're not teachable, you're above. You repel people. When you're humble, you identify with people. When you admit your weaknesses, have you ever admitted a weakness and you admitted it and you know what the person said? You know what, I struggle with that too. Where I struggle with this, and all of a sudden, what's it do? It brings you closer together. Why? Because you're humble. When you show God's grace and you point to, to, to what God is doing and not about what you're doing or what God's doing through you, and you have a genuine, sincere humility, that, that people see that, and it speaks of the character of God. Why? Because that's what God did through Jesus Christ. Jesus showed us genuine interest. Let me give you the two verses that perhaps you would consider memorizing. Philippians chapter two, verse three, the text says this. Do nothing, do nothing. How much? Nothing, nothing. Do nothing, not one thing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather in, say that next word, Humility, value others, lift others up, not looking to your own interests, verse four, but each of you to the interests of others. This is what Jesus did when he came to the cross. The subsequent verses say that he forfeited his divine rights and he became one of us. He died a criminal's death on the cross. Why? So that the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and every tongue confess that he'd be exalted above all names as Jesus is and was and will continue to be. But Jesus didn't exalt himself. He allowed his father to exalt him. In due course, as you are humble, the father will exalt you when you're ready for that next level. That's how that works. Now, I want to show you uh, a principle here. I'm not the first one to say it. I won't be the last one to say it, but it needs to be said. So are you ready for what I want to say to you about what needs to be said when it comes to humility? Here it is. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself yourself less. It's not putting yourself down. Oh, I'm worthless. Oh, I have nothing to offer. Listen, don't buy into that lie. Jesus didn't come to earth and die on a cross for junk. You're valuable. He created you in his image. You, you, you are a hundred trillion times more valuable than that, than that fogger nocturus. Remember that pen last week? That's how valuable you are to God. So you don't have to, you know, you don't have to devalue yourself or have some self-deprecating humor about yourself. Now you don't have to do that. You just need to think of yourself less. You don't have to put yourself down. You just have to lift others up. You have to lift them up. You have to show interest in them. Now let me tie this back to Paul and Barnabas. When I saw this. This week I was so excited about this. I want to share from Scripture. I want to show it to you. So here's what takes place at the end of this scene. Right after they say we're not God-like, there are some people from cities that they had just visited prior, from Antioch and from Iconium. They come to Lystra, and they're so mad at Paul and Barnabas because. The gospel changed some hearts of people and it just really got everything off kilter when it came to society, its finances, everything. It just goofed everything up. So these people came to take care of business and they start beating Paul and Barnabas up. In fact, the text tells us that they stone them. They drag them outside of the city and they leave them for dead. But the next day, Paul and Barnabas wake up, they're alive, and you know what they do? They express genuine interest in the people that they had just visited. They show God's grace in some enduring ways, and there they are strengthening the church. They go back to five of the seven cities. Look at the map, look. Five of the seven cities. They go back, and they strengthen believers. They say, I want you to remain faithful to God. I I want you to follow him. They appoint Barnabas and Saul. They appoint Christian leaders to those established churches, just like they were commissioned in Acts chapter 13. And then some 25 years later, Paul writes to his young mentee to the next generation, in his last letter that's known to us as 2 Timothy, he writes these words in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10. He says, you, you however, you know all about my teaching. You know all about my way of life, my purpose, my faith, my patience, my love, my endurance. You know about my persecutions and sufferings. What kinds of things happened to me, watch this, in Antioch, in Iconium, and in Lystra, the persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from from them all, from all of them. Friend, today, the Lord, I don't know what you're facing but I know our God will rescue you from all of them. That's what he did for Paul and Barnabas. It's what he did for Jesus on the cross. Jesus bled and died. But that wasn't the end of the story. It was the resurrection, the vindication from God to say, I'm going to rescue, and I'm actually going to use that for the salvation of humankind. For Paul, all the beatings, all the shipwrecks, all the snake bites, all the floggings, the stonings, imprisonment. It was for our benefit. God used that. Question, what is God going to use in your life? What is he going to make you, build you stronger for, for mission? Your service to unbelievers is your mission. Your service to believers is your ministry. It's a place where you can serve both, both ways to serve and to love God. You know, the term, the Uh, Term in English, mission, really comes from a Latin word meaning uh, that means to send. And Jesus, before he left the world, he said, As the Father has sent me, so I send you. We are the sent ones, the called ones, the chosen ones. Friends, on this Memorial Day weekend, as we honor and we remember our fallen comrades, those men and women who died for us, we also remember the freedom that we experience as Christians, that we can be sent out into our world to pray, to love, for families who, who lost little ones in Texas or a church in California or what happened in Buffalo. We as a church, Wednesday night, we're praying for God's compassion, his love, to know that we're sent to internalize the truth and the love and the hope of Jesus Christ so that we can share So today as we close, I just wanna pray for you. For some of you today, you're at a place where you need to be rescued. You have some heavy things going on in life. And I know tomorrow's Memorial Day and you're off and perhaps you're not working, but the enemy's still attacking. Enemy's still coming after, you're still wrestling with some things and you just need a touch from heaven You need God's peace. You need to speak. You need him to speak to you. If that's you today, would you just raise your hand? I want to pray for you in this moment, anybody? Yep, thank you. Hands going up, just like first service. Lots of hands going up. the end of service, we're going to have some prayer partners here. They're going to be available. They're trusted to pray with you. If you'd bow your heads with me and let me pray for you in this moment. Heavenly Father, you see hearts. You see these hands as the truth of your word, that you would rescue, you would rescue them from, from all those things. I would ask this in a gracious and a humble spirit. Do this for your people, your kids. Now, if you're here today and perhaps you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, I'm gonna give you an opportunity to do that. In this moment, if you've drifted from God or perhaps you, you've never made that decision, Today, you want to honor him by saying, come into my life. If you're online and you want to make that decision, you can just type in the chat. Somebody will reach out to you. Turn to somebody that you're watching with. Call somebody and say, I'm making that decision. I'm giving my life to Jesus Christ. If you're in the room and you want to make that decision today, would you just in this moment slip up your hand? I want to acknowledge that. We want to pray for you, with you. Yes, I see you, kids. Yes, I see you, ma'am. Thank you. Anyone else? Yes, sir, all the way in the back. I see you. God bless you. Yes, I see you, man. Okay. One of the reasons I love our church is because we never let somebody pray alone. We wanna pray together. And so would you pray this prayer with me in full voice as those who are receiving Christ pray this along with us. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me. For sending your son Jesus to die for my freedom. Jesus, thank you. I repent of my sin and I ask you to come into my life. Forgive me, wash over my fear, and bring your forgiveness over my sin. I receive you by faith. Thank you for your grace. In your name. And everyone said, amen. 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 Hey, can we celebrate those individuals? Come on, let's celebrate and praise the Lord.